On this episode of the Glass House podcast, I got to have a chat with Gillian Fitzpatrick, who is currently the CCO of Joe.ie and Her.ie. She is a powerhouse. She is constantly living outside her comfort zone. And on this episode, she shares the lessons she's learned in leading a purposeful life. She is ambitious, passionate about her career and unapologetically chases her dreams. She taught me so much during our chat and I cannot wait for you all to listen to it. As always, a big thank you to Audrey for sponsoring. I'm so happy to welcome Gillian Fitzpatrick to the first Glasshouse podcast of 2021. I've been thinking about getting Gillian on this podcast for quite a while, but Christmas and COVID, and I just thought, look, uh, strike while the iron's hot. So Gillian is here. I'm so happy to see you. Thank you so much for agreeing to appear. How are you? Thank you for fun. I'm such a huge fan of the show, so it's an honor to be on. And uh, yeah, congratulations on everything. Oh, thank you so much. I mean... <laughs> We spoke briefly just before this started and we were saying that like it seems as though 2020 has just been extended. How have you been coping with COVID? Well, I think there's a whole load of emotions and then practical considerations for everyone that that's come with with the challenges of COVID. Um, it is difficult, I'll be honest, it's difficult to start a new year, to want to start afresh, to want to hit the ground running and, you know, start to achieve things for the year and yet to be grappling with, with everything that's going on around us. You know, in saying that, there are green shoots now, the fact that the vaccine is being rolled out, these are all really, really positive things. But I, I think everyone should should let themselves um, you know, feel whatever emotions that they do have and their up and down days for everybody. Um, for me, I think it's just keeping discipline to the structure of, of the day. You know, okay. ordinarily, <laughs> if you're going in and out of the office, you know, you've got to be up at a certain time. You're getting, trying to get your breakfast in, you're, you're getting your bus or you're hitting the, hitting you're the road. Dressed. You're getting dressed, exactly. <laughs> and, and there's a real routine to the morning. And, and I actually think that's, that's, that structure is quite important something that COVID and the circumstances that have resulted, um, you know, on the back of COVID, it, it does mean that the days are less structured. And that's not to say that people aren't working really hard because I, I think everyone is. And, and the economic challenges that are at play means probably people are more consumed and, and, and really, you know, d- diving right into to their jobs and their work and, and making sure that everything is, uh, everything that they can do, they are doing. But in saying that, yeah, that the lack of structure to the day, that can take over. And it's something that probably over the course of the last 10 months, I've learned to be strict on, you know, still get up at the same time, still have your breakfast at the same time, get dressed, as you say, don't be lounging around in your pajamas. I have a very low bar. <laughs> yeah, do, you know, like do, yeah, try, try and embrace that, that structure. Um, and then I think if you, if you start the day like that, um, if you take your lunch break when you ordinarily would and um, get out for a walk, make sure you get fresh air. I've, I've done it too many times whereby I will literally be in the house on the laptop in the same box room. For and you're in the same position. Like you're in the same position. I am over Christmas. And this is why I ask you, because I am looking for inspiration. I'd done a video yesterday on LinkedIn. 
because I live on my own and like I'm working on my own and it's all of these different things it's very hard because I've nobody to kick me in the you know to get me up and go out and I think I did 384 steps <laughs> I've had days like that I've had days like that where it's been absolutely disgraceful like I've literally walked from my desk to the kitchen to get another coffee and back again and that's and then back I'm, yeah to the same position and then in, like, you're working from home are you I'm working from home and I'm really largely have been since March of last year okay. um, when some restrictions were eased last summer you know I did get a little bit of time back in the office um, but it vast majority since since last March has has been working from home and, and I really miss the office I, I yeah. miss the the ad hoc nature of discussing projects and opportunities with with my colleagues and with the teams that's not always easy to replicate from an at-home uh, setup you know whereby you're you're going to have to schedule in calls and meetings um you're going to have to send emails in order to kick something off and I feel like the the kind of more organic way that you inter interact with colleagues is is really is really removed, and and that's definitely something I miss. Um, but in saying that, I've been really impressed with how everyone, you know, at Joe and her in in this situation has adapted to working from home. Um, you know, in a digital capacity for digital media, those editorial teams will be well used to to working from home, to opening up the laptop and and working on on content for the audiences. Um, but with a broader business capacity, taking in the commercial teams, the production teams, you know, planning like finance, you know, all these entities, the fact that they're remotely now uh, based is 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 very different. But people adapted quickly and people adapted really well. It certainly didn't impact on productivity, which is a testament to I guess, everyone staying focused and motivated. Uh, but personally, I will be first in line to get back into the office eventually. I know, I know. I'd be the same. And so I didn't even do this part, but tell people a little bit about your career because it really intrigues me. Um, you're a journalist. That's where you started, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, correct. Um, so I'm currently Chief Commercial Officer at Joe and Her, um, although I am just wrapping up that role now um, and I'm moving on to the next chapter of my career. I'm about to take up the Commercial Director role at Communicore Media, which is hugely, Congratulations. hugely exciting. Thank you very much. Um, it's a big role and obviously it's going to allow me to get to grips with another aspect of media, which is which is radio. And at the moment, in particular with COVID, to see radio do so well at the moment and, and really land and resonate with audiences and listeners is hugely, hugely exciting to be delving into a part of the industry that is performing incredibly strongly at the moment. You know, I'm, I'm definitely um, itching to get, get going in that role, but um, you're right, going back to the beginnings of my career, it was in newspapers and it was on the editorial side of things. Um, I did a master's in journalism and I started doing some shifts for the Irish Daily Star, just freelance. But from the moment I walked into that newspaper newsroom, I definitely was hooked. You know, I, I loved the buzz of it, the energy. Um, there was so much going on. And just ultimately every single day working to get that newspaper out, get it to the presses, get it on the trucks and get it, you know, ultimately into the reader's hands. That that setup was was just really really exciting and and then the fact that you would 
do that one day and come back the next day and it would just all start all over again. You know, it was brilliant, but I, I started my first, I suppose, real media role was with the Irish Daily Mail. And I, I started there, wow, 13 years ago, 13 and a half years ago. <laughs> um, and really, I think it, it gave me a lot of core media skills, um, you know, core editorial skills, obviously. Um, but it, I had no commercial involvement, you know, and, and especially I think at the time, and especially in newspapers, things are probably a little bit more structured, a little bit more rigid. You know, you're either on the editorial side or you're on the commercial side. Uh, things don't tend to blend so much. Um, but probably when I look back now in hindsight, I definitely was somebody that was always interested in the business of media. You know, I would sometimes I, I would check uh how many papers did we sell yesterday and, and why? You know, so is that a promotion that we were running? Is that just simply a great front page story and a super headline and, and super visuals that went with that? Or was it a blurb? You know, was there a supplement or was there a feature contained within the newspaper that that ultimately sold more copies? And, and these were kind of questions that even unbeknownst to me, you know, I suppose uh, reflected a real commercial hunger and interest. I think when I moved into digital media and I, and I first did that uh, working for a company called Sheology, which is where Mummy Pages uh, sits, which is a, you know, a really strong parenting brand. Um, I think that was probably the first time that I realized that actually you can start to combine commercial and editorial and that you were really, really valuable having this innate knowledge of audiences, of how those audiences respond to different sorts of content, how they behave. You know, these were really, really valuable things from a commercial capacity as well. Like knowing and, your customer, you know, and it's actually yeah, knowing what's important to them, because like, I think you're speaking to them you know when you're trying to find information for them i had a look at um obviously when i was doing so i did do some research when i was doing <laughs> some research and i really liked i don't have children but when i was looking at mummy pages there's like no shame in it you know the way when sometimes there's a lot of like shame for what to mothers you're doing it this way or that way and i really like the vibe that it was like look you know you're the mother these this is some information for you, but it wasn't like there's a right way or a wrong way. It was just like giving them information and you could see from the comments and things back that people really appreciated that. Was that purposefully done? Yeah, definitely. And, and I think, you know, even that editorial approach probably predates my arrival at Sheology. Mm. You know, it was Mommy Pages was probably set up as a brand to, to really support mums, to offer an outlet, to be, you know, to, to have a platform there which mums could converse with one another. Um, and, you know, that, that editorial approach of, as you say, no judgment, no shame, not telling people that they're doing things right or wrong, but allowing them to you know, be supported to come to their yeah. own conclusions and ultimately parent in a way that's that's best for them. I think that that's really important and, and really powerful. And and then when I arrived at, at Maximum Media and, and the Her Family brand, you know, that, that was something that I was really keen to also get to grips with and, and make sure that there, there was that similar approach that mums are being supported and that they're, they're ultimately feel like that, in, you know in maximum her family is an extension of their their social yeah, it's circle quite it's quite empowering as well because I know like sometimes you know when as women when we look on these like websites that they can be quite degrading or you know 
again the judgment you know there's a certain body type or there's this or there's that like I don't find that like there's actually news on it you know like there's information yeah. like anybody want, could read it which is great exactly you want to you want to inform as well um and mm -hmm. certainly in the parenting space there's lots of information to process and sometimes really practical information that could be anything from child benefit um how to apply for it and and you know make sure that you're getting the, the right amount at the right time um you know crash like the the various schemes that are in place like how do you um avail of these things that are in place um you know very like getting your child their vaccination schedule you know what what milestones you should be hitting like all, all these things are are very they're very factual information but what yeah. platforms like her family can do is obviously make them really really consumable um and rather than maybe reading something that feels like it's been taken from a scientific journal and it just doesn't resonate doesn't feel like organic for a mom no. um, being able to to make it really easy to understand and easy to read or easy to watch or listen to you know they're they're powerful things um and really really important i think in that in that parenting space 100 and i do think that information is power and you can see that like throughout your career there was one job title that you had that i found well i find them all interesting but there's one <laughs> job title that you had um direct was it director of storytelling yeah that was my title in in sheology um and i think <laughs> story yeah storytelling is is ultimately i guess what what you do in media no matter yeah. no matter what medium that you're working with or, or what platform it's on it of course it's storytelling and uh, certainly within the lifestyle space you know in that entertainment space um you you are ultimately telling a story and whether that's a, a full 50 minute long YouTube-led video series, or whether that's a three-minute read, a written piece of content that that sits on a website, or whether it's a piece of social creative, you know, it's it's all ultimately tallying up to to great stories. And if you can tell great stories, you know, you're going to have a big audience that will be that will be keen to engage with with those yeah. stories. So it's, it's yeah. a conversation. You know, that's really what you're starting. It's a conversation. So for you, I suppose, growing up then to get into journalism um, you must be a people person for sure like, yeah for sure and uh, you know i've always yeah I've, I've i played sport a lot when i was a kid and i think that that does definitely teach you skills around team discipline showing up for training probably gives you a little bit of a competitive edge which uh, no i definitely harm. have a competitive edge and it's certainly no harm definitely in a commercial capacity um so lots lots of things i think i inherently learned from from sport um and then it does give you I, I found like say for example when i was in school sport allowed you to build friendships with people maybe outside of your year you know when you're mm. in secondary school and your your circle of friends are very much just the the girls that are around you you know but sport allowed you actually to make friends with somebody two or three years ahead of you which when you're 14 somebody who's 17 just feels so grown up and yeah, it's you know deal. It's, and it's a great um, I find though with sports as well and you can kind of tell with people so there's like a camaraderie and then there's also um people's communication skills like improve I look at some of my godchildren and obviously like I'm no judgment just in case they're watching this but you know if they're on their phones or they're playing Fortnite and things like this so they're a little bit more shy than I would have been in relation to talking to people and they're maybe not involved in a sports team but I find that people who are like they're a little bit more outgoing you know and a little bit more confident in themselves would you find that's yeah. true 
definitely find that that's true. But equally, I would say that confidence, um, networking, being able to walk in a room and shake somebody's hand and start a conversation, they are still skills and they're still skills that you can work on. Um, a few years ago, I started to give some, say, keynote speeches or some presentations at conferences, at summits. Um, I look back now and I'm sure the first few that I did were really bad. And I apologize probably to anyone <laughs> who had the misfortune of stumbling upon me. But nevertheless, it was something that I had to kick off and I, I had to begin. It was definitely outside of my, my comfort zone, but I recognized it as being an important skill and I worked mm -hmm. on it. And, and, you know, now that would be something that I'm much more comfortable with. Similarly, you, not, you don't have to feel that you are an inherently sociable person or outgoing person that you that you have to have these things as as part of your dna they're they're actually skill sets and they are things that you can work on you can work on your confidence you can work on your ability to network and to broaden out your your contacts and and i i think that people shouldn't view those as being you either have that in your armor or you yeah. don't um, i actually learned that from a gentleman named peter cosgrove so he used to work at my previous company and whenever I'd watch him, I'd I wanted to do public speaking and I've spoken about this before, but I used to watch him and I was like, he's a natural. And I remember him saying to me one day, there's nothing natural about it. I practice it. Like I, he records himself, he times it, he knows his pauses um, and he does it to the point of where like he knows when he's gonna walk across the stage and it looks so natural because he's perfected it, you know? And then I had agreed to do um, a talk one a director asked me to do a talk at the um intro jobs fair in dublin castle and i caught 20 people but it seemingly was being live streamed across europe and <laughs> i was so nervous I, I had said this before but i was so nervous that they asked me if i needed somebody to accompany me on stage it's like no do you want somebody to literally hold your hand i know to hold a brown paper bag that i will be hyperventilating <laughs> into but once i got up and made myself vulnerable because it was something I wanted to do. I said, I know it's not going to be perfect, but a tip that I got in relation to public speaking was it's not about you. You have to put yourself in the seat of the person who's there and what do they want to get out of it? So if you take like your ego out of it, like, am I going to be good? Am I going to be brilliant? What will they think of me? And you kind of go, what do they need? They need to get a job. They need to do this. They need like, you know, salary information. And then once I did that, it was like there was less pressure. If that makes sense you also act as a mentor is that right yes yes i act as a mentor to uh students at ucd so um i studied at ucd for four years i have a ba international in english and classics which is a very atypical degree <laughs> to have considering i'm now in a commercial director role but, but that's what i studied i did a year abroad at a, a university in rome as part of that as part of the erasmus program which i could only speak incredibly highly of and it was so Amazing. valuable for me in fact i'd actually say that my time in rome that is why I'm in media. That is why I went into journalism, because while I was studying in Rome, uh, Pope John Paul II died. And what I witnessed was 
international media in their thousands descending on Rome in order to cover what was a global event. And it was probably on the cusp of that pre-smartphone era. So this was, you know, if, if a, I guess a Pope or a big global international humanitarian figure died now, it would be, a, there, the coverage would be different and the way that people would share information would be very different. But, but back then it, it was a case of, it was legacy media, it was TV, it was radio, it was print on the ground, talking to people and observing what was going on. I mean, it's such a, it's such a wonderfully bizarre and unique occasion when, when a Pope dies, you know, and there's so much history that, that goes with that. Um, and it, it, it was something that just, as I said, garnered such global media attention and um, me even from afar witnessing that and, and looking at what was going on on the ground in Rome when I was living there. It absolutely showed me how exciting media could be and how important it was for for information. Um, and so I adored Erasmus. I loved the Erasmus program, but I also can reflect and say there was something very significant that happened during my time living and studying there that, that probably set me on my path to to a career in media. But I think, though, it's important to note that somebody else could have been in that situation and not recognize the moment that they were in. like. So I know you're saying that that happened, but it was also there was something in you that was like, I'm witnessing history and that like, you know, and you're like you're bearing witness to something and then you're sharing if journalism is done right, you're sharing that information factually with the masses. Absolutely. And, And I suppose I've always loved you know, when I was in school, I loved English and I obviously then went on to third level to study it. So, you know, there you're right, there there was that seed that was there and, and probably just being part of, um, you know, as you say, like there's a catalyst then that takes place and it, it does just probably form your career path then as a result. But, you know, for me, it, acting as mentor to those UCD students, it's great to actually say well I studied English and classics and this is where I've now ended up I, I didn't have to do like a, a business or a commerce degree no. you know that the disciplines that I learned in, an, in a BA and an arts degree really serve me incredibly well now in terms of communication in terms of getting ideas across in terms of analytical thinking you know they're all like very key skills that I learned during my degree and that I can apply even now you know yeah. <laughs> even even now I graduated from UCD in 2006 so you know it's a, it's a while ago <laughs> and yeah. um, I think that you also learn on the job I think that if people think that they and I mean like I, I'm at heart like I'm not a podcast host I'm a recruiter you know like I I didn't know that recruitment was sales when I started I thought I was just helping people and I had to google what a KPI was you know I was like oh my lord yeah I'm like I'm not I'm not a salesperson I'm not this yeah. but it's like if you can look at something and that it has like a bigger value that like it's like if I get somebody a job it just doesn't affect that person it affects their family their friends their community um things like that but there was something that you said that stood out to me there and so you worked as a journalist and now you're going to be tell me again the cc commercial director for commercial director okay so it's a huge job i mean and i'm a big believer in the power of yes have you so you must be a confident person like you know you're ambitious which i love but do you ever have like did you ever have moments of self-doubt 
of like, can I do this? Or, you know, imposter constantly. syndrome. Yeah, and co constantly. Um, like I've always pushed myself and that's probably reflected my career. It's definitely, you know, I worked in newspapers for seven years and I had a good job, you know, I was features editor of the Irish Daily Mail. Well, I was still in my twenties, you know, I was managing team, I was managing freelancers and contributors. I mean, I could have easily stayed there and still had a good career, but I, I recognized I needed to broaden out my skill sets. I needed to get to grips with digital and I, I wanted to, to push myself. And, and so I, you know, I left that job and, and I, I guess it, it took me probably a couple of years to get back to that level, you know, that kind mm. of department head type of level managerial position. And, and it took a, a couple of years of pivoting and, and trying a few different things and, and then being able to, to rebuild, with, but with a much broader skill set. And, and that takes, that takes a little bit of confidence as well. You have to back yourself and, and believe that some, some of these changes that you're making, they're may, maybe they're not going to be immediate. It's not that you're leaving one job and going into a better job. Sometimes there's that little bit of gray area in between. And I, I've certainly had that in my, in, in my career. Um, but I, I think that, yeah, ambition definitely is something that I have, of course, confidence, but confidence comes as you achieve things within your career. So, you know, I have confidence now because I can look back and, and reflect on maybe three or four key times when I have pushed myself, when I pushed myself into a new role. And, and ultimately, though I've, I've delivered in that and I've done well and I, I've achieved certain things, have I done everything perfectly? Of course not. Um, you know, have I, would I look back and say- I think that's the biggest yeah. thing that like, it's, I was speaking to somebody the other day and it's the whole thing of paralysis by analysis. Like I was, I was like a perfectionist, you know, like where, and I wanted everything. So any bit of criticism that I would get, like it cut me. You know, I was like, no, but I've done this, I've done that. And sometimes you just can't control the outcome. But I think like even with you, like the the courage in it is like to do your best and then you don't control the outcome. You know, you can yeah. do manage what you can manage. And then sometimes it's just in the lap of the gods. But if you keep trying like you did and you didn't give up, look where I'm you also are. A big, big, big believer in getting things done. And it's not about cutting corners and it's not about, you know, not having certain standards and, and a certain, you know, like bar, I guess, where, you know, the, the expectation for the outcome and professionalism, you know, you, you, you of course, you, you're in a, a position whereby things have to be done well. But as you say, if you're constantly striving for things to be done perfectly, that is going to cause huge challenges and, you need to be decisive and you need to get things done. And sometimes that means getting things done at 85% perfect yeah. rather than 100% perfect. And I'm a massive, massive believer in that. I mean, I move at pace. Um, <laughs> I think being in an entrepreneurial led environment like Maximum has always been and, and, and still having that slightly disruptive presence within the Irish media landscape. I think you do have to move at real pace and, and but it's something that I've kind of learned to find that balance on achieving things, making sure that tasks are getting done quickly and efficiently. But as I said, maintaining great standards and professionalism at the same well, time. Well, I mean, there's a big difference between excellence and perfection. So you can still be excellent, you know, and then it's also you can do the best you can with the information that you have at the time as well. So like you can still 
at the time, like get it out, as you said, 85, 90, 90%. I have a feeling that your 85 and 90% might be significantly higher <laughs> than my 85 or 90, 90%. Um, in relation to anybody who's starting out, and I don't think that your lessons are just like specific to journalism or media. What would you, is there anything that you'd recommend? Because I know it's easy for us to say, back yourself. Yeah. But is there anything that you'd recommend? Like I, I really, I always say that people need to protect their energy and the people that they have around them, you know, that you don't want like people saying you can't, you know, or the negative or the naysayers. Like, what would you say? Yeah, I fully agree with that. And it's something that I'm always mindful of. Say, for example, if I'm giving a, a talk on my career to college students, um, you know, or people who are interested in media and that I'm, I'm really cautious, I think, especially because we can, there are a lot of numbers out there and statistics around how poorly women are represented in senior leadership positions as a whole, you mm -hmm. know, at CEO or director level, and then also within media. And, and sometimes I, I feel it's important to also reiterate, don't get too distracted by that because there's lots of change happening and you can you can do anything that you want in your career. Um, you know, don't don't get too downheartened by by statistics and, and yeah. numbers, you know. Um I think that for for me and and cliches it is hard work will get you everywhere. Um, I've worked hard from the moment I started my career um, and that's not that's not being a slave that's not doing 80 hour weeks and yeah. you know like just notching up hours um, I think it's just the willingness maybe to to push things a little bit more go the extra mile as applicable when when it's needed I and mean, it's not needed 24 7 but but when it comes up you know like hard work is You'll, you'll always, you can outperform someone just through hard work, which I think is a really empowering thing to remind yourself of yeah. because you don't have to be the smartest, the most confident, the best connected, work hard, keep, you know, keep the head down and keep pushing and, and that will be rewarded. So I, I do think that that's um, really important. And I think also don't underestimate how powerful and empowering success is. So sometimes I think we can get kind of a little bit caught up in the dream job or the dream scenario, or if I had a magic wand, you know, I'd be whatever. Like actually the most satisfying things are doing your job really well and seeing your achievements within that and carving a niche for yourself whereby you are the best at something. And it might, it might be a small part of what you do or a small part of the industry that you're in, but being the best at something that's, that's something that you can build on really well. Um, and I think that that's something that don't, don't underestimate, don't get too caught up in this kind of dream scenario of, you know, like that. I think there's a lot of messaging at the moment for, for younger people whereby it's follow your passions, follow your dreams, um, you know, reach for the stars. And I agree with those things, but don't like keep it, keep it also grounded, you know, don't get too removed and, and recognize that actually your hard work and your drive within, within a certain sector or within your chosen career path, these things are, don't, it's very, very satisfying to do your job well and to achieve great things. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be an actor or an influencer no. or a TV presenter. You know, you, you might on paper think that those things are 
really exciting and for the right individuals within that space of course they're exciting but equally you could be working as you know uh within taxation <laughs> and you know that if you if you if you do that really really well and achieve great things within your chosen field that will be as satisfying and rewarding as being you know on a prime time slot on on rte no 100 percent. i completely agree with it and i also think as well like dreams are and I have to be careful how I say this, not dreams are overrated, but it's like, I mean, like I could dream of being like, you know, a famous singer or something, but it's like, it's not really reality. Like for me, I fell into recruitment and um, it was something like I have this huge family and things. And I, I was like, how do you monetize like emotional intelligence or how do you monetize like being able to relate to people or talk to people? Or, and recruitment was great for me because it served two parts of my personality, the one that wanted to serve. So with the community, so I get to volunteer and there's a whole thing um, about job crafting. So saving for you going into journalism, you did that. And it was like, you've director of storytelling and all these different things but then there was a part of you that had that like business side of it and the commercial and you want to go into ops and you crafted that job for yourself and now look where you are you know so you're also feeding every single part of of your personality you know you have the creative <laughs> side but then you also have that um competitive edge that you had mentioned precisely precisely and i've always loved the business of media and i think at the moment it's something that's so fascinating because you know media has so rapidly changed over the last 10 or 15 years and actually the fundamental business structures of what makes a media organization successful and impactful you know they they cannot be removed now it's really really important that you operate profitably it's really really important that you make strategic and intelligent business decisions around media you know it, it's not like the heyday in the in the kind of late 90s early 2000s of say tabloid media in the uk where they were just selling hundreds and hundreds of thousands if not millions of copies of the sun for example every single day and so therefore you know, the scrutiny on the business structure of that model, they're not as pressing, where now it doesn't matter if you're radio or TV or digital-led, you know, your, your business framework has to be rock solid in order to be able to support great content and great storytelling. Yeah, and I think that once you, once you have that, because I think your viewers or your consumers, they're becoming more discerning, especially in the age of fake news, and we've seen what happened in America, you know, like on the sixth and um, like that words matter, you know, and a narrative matters. Like, how did you feel as a journalist watching what kind of unfolded stateside? Well, I mean, it was it was shocking. And I think that um, journalism, journalism or not, anyone viewing that it's it was just so. Jarring. So jarring and and so not not what you expect truthfully from from the US um, wow. and as you say the the power of words and the power of social media in this instance whereby a message has been spread through the likes of of Twitter and Facebook and that the the impact the immediate impact that that can have because if you're if you're putting out a message and, and a call on social media platforms I mean. Donald Trump has what 88 million followers on Twitter, for example. So that you know, as soon as he presses um, publish on that tweet, 
it's just going to ripple rapidly. And that's an exciting part of social media, but it's also a huge, huge pitfall and something that's that's very, very dangerous. And I think that, of course, the social media platforms, I mean, really going back to 2006, you know, when, when Trump first, um, you know, 2016 rather, when, first, when Trump was first in office, um, big, big questions were being asked about social media platforms and, and they're still being asked now, but um, it, it's an extension of that and it's an extension of um, how misinformation and factually inaccurate and dangerous messaging and content can be spread. Um, yeah. And it's, it, it's interesting how legacy media, really well-established media entities um, therefore take on a new significance because trust and trust from your audiences, from um, the people that are engaging with your content, whatever medium that occupies is probably now more important than ever. And, it, and it's really interesting to see legacy media adapt to that and, and take advantage of it truthfully. Step up. Well, I think Step it's, up. and we spoke about this um, just previous to recording this as well, that we saw it, I mean, like before Christmas in Ireland, like that, um, I think that the internet and, you know, these sites, they're popping up and they came up quicker than, you know, the governments or legislation could keep up. And then we have the whole thing in December um, with Coco's Law, you know, and like Jackie, the mum has like fought valiantly, like what a woman to get this law passed. And I mean, I even know from a personal situation that my goddaughter was being bullied like online and things like terrible things, like, you know, told her to kill herself, everything like that. And it was very hard to get the schools and everything. So. Um, on board to understand how serious it was and how much it was affecting her and that's just one child like that's just one kid so when when I heard Jackie's story and about like what was happening on social media um, I'm just so proud of everything that she's achieved because she's actually like taken her tragedy and turned it into something positive for for Ireland which is Absolutely. And, and you're you're completely right that you should, like Jackie's also somebody that it's not like she was she had this platform in which she could just switch on a big social media account and get some, she had to fight really hard to to have her voice heard. And she had to draw on, you know, ev anyone that would listen to her, whether that was a politician or somebody within the media or somebody, you know, who just was a friend and, and, and somebody to, to listen to that story. And, and she's just fought so, so hard. But of course, it also shines a light on broader, as you say, challenges that come, especially for, for younger people um, around social media. Um, I mean, it's, it's a huge, it's a huge issue. And when you, when you maybe consider your 50, average 15 year old now, for example, they've only grown up with social media. They've, they've, there's no pre time for them. There's, there's no era for which they, they didn't have access to, to these platforms at their fingertips. Um, and it's, it has to be now just part of, of education from, from schools and from parents, um, but also from you know, the individuals themselves that the, the impact and the harm that, that messages shared on social media can have. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's part of, I guess these things have developed so rapidly, you know, in, in, in the space of, of 10 or 15 years. I mean, how drastically the digital landscape around us has changed and altered and evolved. 
Um, and there's so much majority of good and power that comes with that. And then there are other considerations that that need to be evolved along with how rapidly these these this technology is evolving. Um, but it has to now be just part and parcel of, of parenting. You know, I've, I've got two kids, they're five and seven, so they're a little bit pre, thankfully, smartphone era, but it, it will have to be something that, that I'll just tackle head on. You, you can't kind of turn a blind eye to it or, or fingers crossed hope, you know, that, that kids aren't engaging with, with various numerous social media platforms and that the, the challenges and, and potential dangers that come with that. Yeah, and I think those children are so much more advanced, as you said, that they've spent their whole lives with, like, you know, they know TikTok, they know this, they know that, um, where the parents are almost trying to have to catch up, you know, like, do we do parenting classes so they know what TikTok is? That Do they disable comments? Do they get this different type of software? But it's, look, I completely agree with you. Um, I think it's phenomenal that you've a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, <laughs> I'm looking at, because I didn't know this obviously before the conversation, and then like all the things that you've um, you've achieved. Have your children expressed any interest in like creative writing or things like that? Are they getting anything from their mommy? I think, no, I think my son wants to be a five-year-old. Five he wants to be a chef and Always my good daughter, to have in the family. Yes, exactly. My daughter who's seven, I think, it's uh, astronaut is is kind of the, the current yeah exactly so that it changes though doesn't it it does change yeah it does change as time goes on but um yeah I, I I don't know I think it's 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 great for them to have um a mom who is ambitious and, and driven yeah. and, and hopefully as they get older I'll I'll achieve more things and, and go on and, and do more 100 um, will and um, do you ever have I mean, as I say to you, I don't have children, but did you ever have, I hear mums talking about guilt, you know, about like working and this and that. And my mum is like a single parent. So she worked and my Nana was there. And if anything, I got my work ethic from her. So when I hear mum saying, I feel guilty, it's like, it just made the time we had together for me more special because she was happy and fulfilled and all of these things and earning her own money and making her way in the world. So if anything, it just gave me an extra layer of admiration for for what she did do you know like there was no judgment for me as a child do you have any of those concerns I like I don't feel a huge amount of all-consuming parental guilt and that that's been really honest um, <laughs> I'm glad you know I feel like that balance is in place I make the most of the time that I have you know and evenings and mornings and weekends and holidays with my children um I also share parenting with my husband and it is a 50 50 approach so it's not that more falls on me than it than it does on him um, mm. and that's really really important as well to have that balance if you know if you do have a two-parent setup it needs to be as equal as it can be and I understand sometimes people have different pressures or different hours in terms of the way they work Think around about though isn't it you just kind of yeah, practically something does fall more so to one parent over another because of the way that they work or, or the job that they have but in general you know you do have to strive to to have that balance and um i i just don't distract myself with a load of of guilt around parenting yeah. because it doesn't serve doesn't help my kids doesn't help me no. Um, and I also have a strong sense of, you know, working hard and achieving things 
within my career is also for the benefit of my family, even financially, you know, there's, there's the support and stability there that if I'm um, successful in my career, then obviously that, that has benefits for my family. And I know that's a very practical thing to say, but it is, it's important also to, to acknowledge. It's realistic, exactly. So do I have moments? Absolutely. Do you go through phases where you do feel that guilt you know, if there's a particularly busy time in work and suddenly two or three weeks have gone past and you've been in the office late in the evening, you've missed bedtime, you know, you you kind of reflect on the hours that you've spent with your kids over that period of time and you recognize that it's probably not enough, but they're bursts and then you can balance that out with, with other things. I think I it think affects that... the parent more than it affects the child. Though. Yeah, probably. <laughs> They're tipping along, delighted with themselves that they're spending time with someone else. And then the parent is having like this. What I mean, if I know even with my uncle, he's the same. So I wouldn't just ask this question to a woman, you know, but he was saying that because he was like resetting up his business and he was out on the road and he was all of these different things. But he was like, they they knew why, you know, they knew why. Um, so to finish, we know that you are moving um, well, taking the next step in your career. What are their plans or hopes? I know that we're very limited on the plans that we can make, but like that you would like to see for you um, in 2021. Well, in 2021, it's definitely getting to grips, as I said, with radio and, and really embracing that part. And, and I'm not, I don't feel too overwhelmed by it because I know media really well. And, yeah. uh, you know, I've made plenty of pivots in my career before, but, but nevertheless, I think it's, it's important to acknowledge that when you are moving into a new role and when you are going to like a big organization, a big successful organization like Communicor is, that to, to take the time nevertheless to accumulate those new skills and to learn, you know, about the business. So I'm uh, looking forward to getting to grips with that. Um, and then for me, I always like really tangible achievements, which is why I love commercial and sales. <laughs> yeah. So for me, it's hitting all my targets this year. And, uh, you know, it's, it's such a challenging time economically, no matter what sector you're in, um, because of that uncertainty. And we know that certain industries have been greater impacted than others. Uh, but, but nevertheless, there, there's, there is that uncertainty. Um, so it's, it's making sure that, yeah, that, that, I achieve everything that I want to achieve despite things that are happening around us that, that we can't control. Yeah, sounds great. I have no doubt. But look, thank you so much for doing this today. And I would love to um, get you back on maybe in like April or May and we can have a catch up and see how radio is treating you. Um, fantastic and thank you so much I mean as I said I'm such a huge fan of the product and and of you so it's it, you know it's a real honor to it's just lovely to have a chat I know that's what I was saying I'm just so happy that I'm going to be seeing somebody else and um, but no you've been a gift and I really do think that people are going to learn because when even when I see somebody as accomplished as you and it's like covering the imposter syndrome and everything I think sharing your vulnerabilities not just your successes and you know and um, sharing that you know even somebody like you who's like at the level that you're at um has had like wobbles I like to call them you know and um but you kept going and you fought through them and it paid off for you so yeah I'm, yeah uh, definitely keep, for keep, keep going that's that's all any of us can do and I think recognizing the difference between criticism and scrutiny you know that's something I've learned recently uh, we all need to take on criticisms and that's part of learnings but do not take on scrutiny do not do not like have any I'm time gonna put that on a t-shirt <laughs> do, do not have any time for anyone who's scrutinizing you because 
that's not criticism that's not um helpful that's just a waste of everyone's time oh my god i love it I, I, i'm actually going to put that on a t-shirt that's going to be your headline <laughs> for the podcast so big thank you to jillian and we will see you again soon thank you Siobhan.